Pickaxe. Hello, I'm Wheels, the Dungeon Master for Storybreakers. Love critical role in movies like Hot Fuzz and Spotlight? Actual play series Storybreakers combines the fantasy adventure of Dungeons & Dragons with small-town comedy and mystery in an episodic tale of journalists on the hunt for the secret underbelly of a tiny town where nothing seems to happen. But excuse me if I don't think a bunch of ragtag journalists from a podunk town are actually going to be of any help. But technically, I don't come from here. When the mysterious arrival of a celebrity from the Heroes and Adventurers Guild sets off a strange conspiracy, the group will have to leave what they think they know about the world at the door, if they're ever to unravel the truth at the heart of this seemingly nondescript town. It's not front page of the Sasai Star I pull up the, the today's, like, installment of the news to see what the front page actually is. There's a big picture of a pumpkin that's been stepped on, and it says, Outrage as pumpkin stepped on. <laughs> Storybreaker Season 1 in its entirety is available for listening right now wherever you get your podcasts. With Season 2 on the way. Find out more at Dicebreaker.com. If you're listening to this when it drops this Saturday, the 29th, we'll be streaming the very first episode of Arc 5. It was supposed to happen last week, but we had some tech difficulties which gave us a few more days to polish everything a little bit more. Saturday on our Twitch channel at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, at twitch.tv slash d-a-n-d-r, we'll be streaming the very first episode with you guys. We'll be in the chat to hang out, answer questions. And don't worry, it'll be going to YouTube and VOD after the fact, along with the podcast version. But, of course, our lovely patrons get an ad-free version before everyone else. So, help us pack the chat. Hang out with us this Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. There's links in the description. We want to see you all there so we could show you what we've been working so hard on. That's twitch.tv slash D-A-N-D-R podcast. Howdy all and welcome to your Cortex Primer. If you're mostly familiar with D&D as your default tabletop experience, this might be just a little bit jarring to start, but I promise that it's an easy system to pick up and play once you get two or three fundamentals. In D&D, your character has a set of stats that pretty much govern how good or bad they are at any given thing. The base stat changes a modifier that you then add or take away from a D20 roll. In Cortex Prime, you have at least three sets of stats to pull from at any given time. These are called your Prime Sets, and they play a part in just about every role in the game. There are tons of different ways to run Cortex, but you'll always be using some combination of prime sets. The way the system works is that instead of there being one linear way to play the game, imagine you're being brought a bunch of different options. It's an RPG buffet, and you're picking and choosing the stuff that you want to be in your system. It's completely customizable, and this is just the stuff that we chose to incorporate into our version of Cortex. Now we mentioned that there's a bunch of different dice in play instead of just one d20 roll. What this does is give you a bit more in the way of decision making and makes things like combat and skill checks a bit more fluid. It helps to avoid that terrible feeling you have when you have a plus 10 modifier in something, you roll poorly on one die and then you end up waiting 20 minutes for another shot. Now you'll see myself and players throwing out multiple dice and then making choices after that to move forward. Everyone, including the GM, also gets plot points. Everyone, including myself, gets something called plot points. These are the lifeblood of the system, and we'll be talking about those in more detail in just a little bit. 
let's take a look at our standard DNR Cortex character sheet. As you can see, there's a lot in the way of stats and ratings, but our system's designed in such a way that you'll never have enough points to max out everything. Far from it, actually. This makes the game much more about playing as a group and leaning on teammates. No one is good at everything, and this sheet helps to drive that home. Honestly, when you're done filling in your character sheet for level one, you'll really only be paying attention to maybe 25 to 30% of this. Anything that you don't have a skill point in is treated like a D4. Our prime sets are attributes, distinctions, and skills, be that basic or combat. Basic skills are used for your common skill checks, trying to climb a wall or leaping from one platform to another, picking locks, stuff like that. Combat skills are obviously used in combat. Super simple, right? Combat skills are broken into two camps, the physical and magical. In Cortex, there's not a lot of hardcore math or calculating modifiers. Instead, your stats are rated using a simple dice system, with D4 being a representation of being totally unskilled or weak in an area, and D12 representing the pinnacle or being an expert in something. Though there is a traditional HP variant in Cortex, we've decided to use the stress and trauma system instead. We feel as though this will create a more meaningful and tense combat situation for everyone involved. NPCs and PCs are now absolutely equal in pretty much every way. This doesn't mean that your common shopkeeper is going to be able to stand toe to toe with someone in an actual adventuring party, but it also doesn't mean that a slight bump on the noggin murders them. They do have skills and they are good at some things. But how does something like that work practically, you may ask? Well, let's take a look at a quick example. Let's say that Calden, played by Ian, and Merrick, played by Jasper, got into a fight for some weird reason. Calden starts off the fight and wants to attack Merrick using magic. Now, we have a bunch of classes and abilities, but in Cortex, you're rewarded for your imagination and ability to think on your feet. For a player like Ian, this is perfect. Instead of referring to a lengthy list of spells and then checking the level of those spells, what spell slot is required, the regents needed, and potential spell DC or modifier, Ian just does the following. He says something like, Calden conjures a long, jagged piece of ice that floats just above his hand and then blasts it towards Merrick. He grabs a spellcasting ability, in this case, it's his savvy, his class, and then the attack die from the magic side of the combat skills. He rolls all of them together and gets the following. A three, an eight, and a five. Here's where the fun starts. Ian now has a couple of different options. In D&D, you usually roll a d20, take your modifier, and then see whether you hit or not. It's quick, but it also ends up usually being narratively kind of boring. You either hit the thing or you don't. That's it. In Cortex, it's just a little bit different. Ian needs to take two of those dice and add them together to form his attack. This is the number that Merrick will have to beat in order to not get hit with that attack. Ian could just take the two highest dice rolls and increase his odds of successfully hitting Merrick. But how does he know how hard the attack might hit? That's where the effect die comes into play. 
Whenever you do just about anything in Cortex, you're weighing your attempt with the effectiveness of the attempt. Two of your dice are always going to be needed to see if you succeed or fail. You may have more dice that apply to the roll, but you'll only ever be adding two of those dice together. The last die is your effect die. This die tells us how effective your attack or whatever else you're trying to do is. The higher the effect die, the greater the impact it will have on the narrative. The coolest thing is, it doesn't matter what you rolled on the die. Once you choose the effect die, it's always going to be the maximum value. So, let's get back to that example. Ian rolled a 3, an 8, and a 5. He can absolutely just take the two highest numbers and give himself a greater chance to hit Merrick. This would leave a D8 effect die and put Jasper on the back foot, forcing him to think quickly. However, Ian could also take the 3 and the 8 and add them together. This would give him a D10 effect die. This means that if Jasper can't beat an 11, he'll take a D10 in stress instead of a D8. Does Ian risk it or play it safe? He chooses to risk it and he goes for the potentially bigger damage. He takes the 3 and the 8, creates an 11 difficulty that Jasper now has to beat. Oh, by the way, in Cortex, it's beat it, not meet it, meaning Jasper now has to roll at least a 12 or higher. On defense, Jasper only gets two dice normally. That would be his class and his choice of finesse to try and dodge the attack. This is only an option if it's a ranged attack, by the way, or his fortitude. Merrick's fortitude is higher, so he's going to go with that one. If Merrick had any special equipment or something else that would be pertaining to this check, he'd also add any of those dice into the roll. In Cortex, bonuses come in one of two ways, usually. Either stepping up one of the die that you're using to make it better, say, stepping up a d6 to make it a d8, or giving you an extra die to throw. It isn't uncommon to see someone assemble a dice pool of five or more dice, just to give them a greater chance in a situation that really needs it. Of course, you're only ever going to add two of those dice together. Now, Jasper's also going to spend a plot point. Think of these like getting inspiration in D&D. The difference being that plot points have lots of different uses and you get them a lot more often. Everyone starts with one plot point per session and you lose them at the end of the session. So don't hold back. Some of the abilities classes get also can use multiple plot points. Some powers need at least three. Now, while these cost more, they usually end up doing a lot more and it gives you an incentive to save some of those points. It's a risk-reward thing, but Jasper only has one plot point right now. He's going to use it to step up the die value of his fortitude for the roll. That now gives him a d10. He takes his class and fortitude, and he rolls, getting a 7 and a 1. That's not great, because in Cortex, anytime you roll a 1, that die is discarded. It can't be counted, and it's essentially dead to you. If you roll all ones in Cortex, that's called a catastrophic failure, and it results in the GM creating something pretty awful in the moment. It's hard to do, but it's a little less chaotic and random than getting a one or 20. So Jasper's out of options, and he has to take this damage. 
if he would have succeeded, he would have set a new difficulty and Ian would have had the choice of pushing it or giving up and saying that he missed an attack. In that situation, if Ian were to have given up, he would have gotten a plot point, sort of a consolation prize, thanks for coming out and playing, but no damage would have been given out. In that instance, Jasper would have also narrated how Ian failed. This wouldn't give any damage or anything, but it sort of sets the volleyball up for another teammate to spike it. But none of that happened, and sadly, Merrick is taking some damage. D10, to be specific. We move his stress tracker up to D10, and anyone attacking Merrick now gets a bonus D10 die just because he's injured. It simulates a character or monster being hurt, and thus it's harder for them to defend themselves. From this point on, Merrick has to be hit with either a D10 effect die or higher. If you hit someone with the same effect die that they already have in their stress counter, they combine and you step up that die. So, if Merrick were to be hit again by Calden and it was for another D10 die, he would now be right on the edge of being unconscious at D12. Anything below that is treated as a less important injury. Sort of like getting stabbed and then stubbing your toe. The stab wound is way more important. It gets harder to hit someone the closer they are to being knocked out. This gives them a chance to get back in the fight. Obviously, bosses and mobs work a little bit differently, but this is for one-on-one -on -one combat. It also means that weaker characters can have a chance of landing a killing blow by receiving one die that is the current value of a character or monster's health. So, even if they're weaker, maybe an NPC tagging along, if the monster is rocking a D12 for its stress, that NPC now has a small chance of hitting that monster. It might be a long shot, but that sort of works narratively. Again, once a character exceeds D12 on the stress tracker, they fall unconscious. They aren't dead and can be brought back into the fight by someone healing them. The same goes for if someone heals them during any point in that battle. They would step down their tracker and step it up again if they were to get hit. Things can change pretty quickly in combat, and that tends to make things fun, fast, and tension-filled. There are other factors like special weapons and armor, but they will always either step up an existing die or give you a new die to roll. There are never any modifiers to a roll. No plus twos, no minus fives. It makes things a little easier to track and keeps combat fresh and exciting. So, Merrick is now injured and it's Jasper's turn. The good news is that Jasper received a plot point for coming out the loser in that exchange. Plot points can be earned in a lot of different ways, but this is a nice consolation prize again. You also get them for doing things in character, attempting something outside the box, and tons of other stuff. He would retaliate and assemble his dice pool the same way Ian did. There's more to it, like class abilities and such, but this is largely how combat works and everything else is just providing more options for a roll. And guess what? Once you get the hang of this part, you basically know 75% of Cortex. Skill checks work the same way, except you aren't fighting that wall you're trying to climb or that gap you're trying to jump. A difficulty is rolled based on how hard a thing is that you're attempting to do. If you're trying to pick a lock that's really fortified, the GM in this case would rate that lock between a D4 
all the way up to a d12. Whatever he rates the lock, he's going to take two of those dice and roll it. That's your difficulty check. If you beat it, you now get to pick that lock. That's it, folks. It's that simple. Anything you're attempting to do that isn't combat will be rated exactly the same way. You'll hear us get more into the rules as time goes on, but this is the foundation of everything Cortex is. It's a fast and fun system that puts story first and allows us to do some things that we've never done before. It also has just enough crunch to give you options and not be too wishy-washy in the combat department. We really hope you guys enjoy us using this system on DNR, and if you want to give it a whirl yourself, there are some handy-dandy links below, including a fillable copy of our very own Cortex character sheets. We'll also be happy to answer any questions on our Discord server. We know that you're going to have a bunch. That's pretty much the basics. Good luck, and we'll see you in Arc 5.